Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit podcast. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing how to process your birth story if maybe it wasn't what you expected. Welcome to the Mama Stay Fit podcast. This is Gina, perinatal fitness trainer and birth doula. And this is Roxanne, labor and delivery nurse and student midwife. And this is the Mama Stay Fit podcast, where we empower you on your prenatal fitness, birth, and postpartum return to fitness journey. Our podcast shares how to move throughout your pregnancy to stay strong and comfortable. Pain is not a requirement of pregnancy. Understand the science of birth and how to approach recovery after birth. We share our personal experiences as mothers navigating the stage of lives, plus our professional expertise as birth workers and fitness professionals. Our goal is to help you feel confident as you navigate the perinatal timeframe for an empowering pregnancy, positive birth, and postpartum journey. We are glad to have you with us on this journey and that you've chosen us to support you. We have the privilege of having Dr. Alyssa Berlin with us, a perinatal psychologist based out of Los Angeles, California. Thanks for being here with us today, Dr. Berlin. Gina and Roxanne, thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this podcast and really showcasing such an important idea and experience because I think one of the biggest problems that we deal with in the world of mental health as a whole and definitely around birth and pregnancy and parenting is that we're afraid to talk. And a lot of us, you know, kind of live in silence out of fear how people will perceive us or, you know, bigger consequences that, again, that a lot of this goes unspoken. And so sharing your birth stories and really, again, showcasing this topic and making it okay, giving women permission is tremendous. So really, ladies, thank you for doing that. So I actually did my own postpartum therapy with Dr. Berlin after the birth of my son when I was dealing with a lot of postpartum OCD and anxiety. I had had two pregnancy losses before his pregnancy and then just felt so anxious throughout his pregnancy that kind of continued into the postpartum period for me. So I kind of reached a point where I realized what I was feeling was not normal. And so I reached out to Dr. Berlin and she helped me a ton with processing this and continues to be an amazing resource for us to this day. And so my first birth story was definitely a more traumatic experience that was really the result of being treated pretty poorly in the later part of my pregnancy and during my birth. And I share my first birth story in episode two of our podcast if you want to go back and listen to it. I ultimately had had a birth that I was not expecting or preparing for, and my biggest issue was that I was trying to sort through this disappointing experience and mourning the birth that I had been preparing for while also being really excited that my baby was here. And so I was scared that if I was disappointed in her birth, that it meant that our story started off with trauma. And so I told myself that it was fine, that my birth was fine. And I was almost looking at my second birth as my redemption shot of what I wanted the first time around. And so it took me years to really come to terms with her birth and finally accept that it was not a positive experience and that it was okay for me to accept that it was not a positive experience, but it didn't mean that the way I was treated was okay. And so understanding that I could accept the experience and acknowledge that what had happened was not okay. And so Dr. Berlin specializes in perinatal mental health and was a great resource to me. And I'm really excited to have her here to talk about how we can process our birth, because this is a common question that we get from a lot of our followers. Like for a lot of my doula clients, where it's their subsequent pregnancies, they're reaching out and they're like, hey, I want to do all the right things this time because my previous birth was not what I was preparing for. It was not what I was expecting. And it always breaks my heart because I know what they're feeling. So our first question for you would be, how would you recommend that somebody begin to process their birth story, whether it was traumatic or if it was just something that they didn't expect, or even if they just have negative experiences or emotions around their birth? You know, I want us to talk about first and foremost that when we talk about birth trauma, you know, 
birth trauma is one of those things where it's in the eyes of the beholder. So people who have attended our births may be like, wow, that was beautiful. And we may not feel that way. By the way, one of the fastest ways to kind of shut up a woman who had a negative experience is having someone else be like, that was great, before really being able to even check in with that mom and be like, how are you doing? Right? How are you feeling? And so we can even start right then and there, instead of imposing or assuming what a mom's experience was, slowing down and asking, asking and checking in and giving permission for the whole range of emotions and experiences around something. I think that's already, you know, kind of putting us down a certain path where we pick up these subliminal messages of what is and isn't okay. So that's, I think, a really important starting point. Another thing that I think really worth mentioning, you know, and talking about as we talk about what it is to be able to create that space to process a birth story is that society really does us a tremendous disservice where I think there's a lot of times that assumption that the ends justify the means. And Gina, you kind of, you know, we're talking a little bit about that in terms of like being in these two places. Like, I'm so happy she's here and I'm so happy she's healthy. But, you know, what was that experience? And is it okay to even be like, gosh, it's not what I wanted. And I don't like the way I was treated, right? But how often I'll hear women in my practice say like, oh, but but I know that I should just be focused and be grateful that, you know, a healthy baby is here. Or I should just be, you know, grateful that, you know, it went a certain way. And again, a lot of imposed energy and expectation that will very quickly, you know, quiet down a mom who maybe is wanting to share something else. So one of the first things that we want to do is to really empower women and to empower families, right? We're focusing more on the mom, but we know that birth trauma is something that could happen to mom as well as the non-birthing partner and really anyone in that space. It's not uncommon that I'll have women reach out to me and say, hey, can you see my partner? I'm okay, or I didn't really know what was going on, so I'm not as impacted, but he's really struggling, or she's really struggling with what that experience was like. So again, birth trauma can really impact anyone in that space. And step one is, again, creating that permission to really speak up, that there's no expectation of how you're supposed to feel, and whatever it is you have to say, we're happy to listen. And so really empowering women to be able to talk and to share. And that's the first step. How are you ladies doing? How are you guys feeling as we start to talk down this path? No doubt reflecting on some of those imposed messages that you each experienced as you were going through these moments. Thankfully, I've had you to work with over the years to mentally and emotionally move past the experience. And I'm in a space now where talking about the harder aspects of my birth doesn't trigger me or bring me back to that place anymore. So thank you for supporting me in that. Something that we have a lot of folks ask us, and it was something that I struggled with as well, was how can we let go of the guilt or the blame that we put on ourselves for our birth experience? So I'm definitely in a place now where I truly believe that I did not deserve to be treated like that and that I did not do something to deserve that experience. And I have come to understand that I did the best I could with the knowledge that I had and I prepared as best as I could. There were things that were just outside of my control and it wasn't anything that I necessarily did that caused that experience. And I could totally go back and be like, what is it, hindsight 2020 and be like, oh, I could have done this differently and this differently. And then maybe that wouldn't have happened. But at the end of the day, the provider that I had was just not having a good day and the way that they treated me was what really caused a lot of the trauma. And so how could you recommend that someone could let go of the guilt and the blame that they're forcing onto themselves? And it's so hard. And, you know, even as you were talking initially, right, about the idea that women come to you for a second or third or a subsequent birth and like, we want our redemption birth, which I always bristle at that word, because no woman is likely in need of redemption in that she didn't do anything wrong. 
Now, that's not to say we don't want a very different birth experience, right? But the reason that women come in with that energy of I want to do it different or I want to really different, I want a different experience, right? It's just astounding to me. It's like there are very few places, if you will, where we go from novice to expert more than in this field where we experience something. And this is true postpartum also, right? It's like being, you know, the parent of baby number one and then the parent baby number two. It's like, man, oh man, right? It's night and day of what we know. And so I think that that's a lot of that experience here. Also, when we go through a traumatic experience, first and foremost, you know, we tend to do a lot of soul searching and research. And, you know, it really does inform then where things could have been different. I'll throw out this and then I'm going to get back to your question. The idea that a lot of times when I work with women, it's reframing. It's not that, that mom failed, which is oftentimes the experience that somehow either they or their body failed to do what they thought or wanted or should have done, air quotes, right? But oftentimes I'll reframe it to, you know what? Your team failed you. Your birth team failed you. You didn't fail. You did the best you could with what you had or, you you know, but your birth team failed you and failed to either treat you, right? Like in your case, Gina, or to support you in the ways that you really want. And so, you know, as we even kind of go into picking our practitioners, I'm often really outspoken of like, you don't want a doctor that's going to tolerate you. You want a doctor that's really invested in what you're wanting, right? So it's not just like, yeah, sure, I'm all see, but it's like, no, 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 like they're really in line with you. And philosophically, we're wanting the same thing. Guilt is such a hard thing because I'm pretty sure that us moms, more than dads, but us moms get in line about six times over when they're handing out guilt. We ride and come to that maternal guilt so deeply because if ever there's a role that we really want to get right, it's being a mom. And that starts in that birthing process. And a lot of us go into it with, you know, expectations of what we want it to be and how we want it to go and really wanting to foster a certain experience. So, you know, I kind of want to come at this question from two different perspectives, which is things that we can do to kind of prevent the potential of trauma, and that's not always possible, and we know that. There's a lot. And again, the two doulas sitting in front of me, you guys can tell me better than I can, right, about all the different things that we can't possibly anticipate or prepare for, right? And I'm sure you get a lot of women who are like, okay, so here's how it's going to go. And you're like, wait a second. But having more accurate expectations going in, that ability to be flexible and to go through, you know, to an openness to what might be, you know, can be really helpful, first of all, on that prevention side. Something else that we find that can be really helpful in the potential, right, potential prevention is really slowing things down. So it's not always possible. But when it is and things are changing for a woman in that birth experience or things are deviating from what they want, but slowing down and really talking to mom and talking to the non-birthing partner and either giving them that chance to ask questions, giving them that chance to understand, giving them that chance to perhaps wrap their mind around what it is that their practitioner is wanting to do can really be a tremendous buffer in experiencing trauma. And I remember, you know, I moonlighted as a doula for a very short period of time. And, you know, our family learned that having two on-call parents was not a good idea. So I was very happy to give the mantle to my husband. But I remember being a doula at a birth, you know, where things all of a sudden just took a turn, right? And all of a sudden couldn't get baby on the monitor. And the room was stormed by people. And they're manipulating mom this way and that way. And mom is freaking out. And I just, you know, slowed down and I went to mom and I'm like, you know, how are you feeling? What's going on? And every question she would ask or have, I would broadcast it to the room and then repeat it back to her quietly. 
and just giving her that information of what's going on, why it's happening. Hey, I know it feels really scary, but actually in this situation, it was a good thing, right? Baby had sunk into the canal so deeply that that's why the monitors were struggling. And actually you're getting closer to birth. Like, it's okay. She'll still talk about, you know, after the fact of like, oh my gosh, what I would have been left with if I didn't have that person to slow down and talk to me so I could make sense and process and be, you know, feel comfortable and feel a part of it, right? Empower her to be a part of it. Um, so those are just some of the things that we can do to kind of help either before or in the moment. What do we do after? And and after is really hard. After, you know, when, again, whether a birth didn't go the way we thought it would go or the way we wanted it to go, maybe there was an intervention or, again, an emergency that happened that left mom either feeling scared or disempowered or something. It does. It, it's really impactful. And I usually find couple of different things. One thing that can be helpful is like we said, you know, people willing to listen without judgment, without quieting mom, but really willing to listen to the experience. Women at the end of the day, we're verbal processors. And so I'll tell men all the time, right, in my like, you know, preparation for birth class, I'm like, guess what? Your job is going to be to listen to your partner tell your birth story over and over again. Like you didn't have front row seats to the experience and like you've never heard it before because if she's wanting to share it, guess what? You get to listen, right? And it's even priming the people around mom for what would be helpful and supportive. And maybe it is listening to her say it over and over and over again as she's trying to digest and make sense of it. Now, in deference to our non-birthing partners, you can suggest calling a mom, a friend. But I'm like, but if at the end of the day, you're the one she wants to talk to, buckle up and get ready to listen. Because that can be really helpful. And having people, again, not try to minimize, but listen, right, can be very helpful and cathartic. You know, other things that can be helpful is talking to other women who have had traumatic birth. Being able to share your story is very powerful. And having other people who are like, you know what, I get it, right? I hear you and I get it and I'm right there with you can also be really helpful. You know, things can be really difficult and impactful, right? They can have really impacted us deeply. And usually, again, talking to people around us will be helpful. When things hit that threshold of trauma, it often requires more professional help because the concept of trauma is that things are kind of getting stuck. Talking about it has value, but somewhat limited value to really being able to address the trauma. And to me, you know, guilt is a symptom of that trauma. And so, you know, gratefully, there's some wonderful techniques out there that are super helpful in processing and digesting and releasing that trauma from the body. And so those would probably be some of the more beneficial ways to address that guilt. EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, Francine Shapiro's approach can be very helpful. It's one of my main modalities when I'm, when I'm working with trauma. And then Peter Levine's approach of somatic experiencing, or SE, is also really helpful because we are helping to digest the experience using the body. And at the end of the day, a lot of it is really stored in the body, right? A lot of times when people experience trauma, you know, the ways that it'll manifest is either a lot of thoughts, thoughts, but the more somatic ways are shortness of breath, sweating, a racing heart, you know, a feeling of like electricity in the body and things like that. And so we just know that we are much more effective dealing with it from a bottom-up somatic-oriented perspective than just talk. Talk is very helpful. 
And I definitely like women to be able to reframe and, you know, to come at the experience from a different way, right? Like we were talking about even before, where it's not that, God forbid, you know, a woman or her body fails, but, you know, perhaps the team failed you or you didn't have what you were expecting or wanting to have. What are you, what are you thinking? As I laid a whole lot at you. Let's take a break from this week's episode to hear from one of our sponsors, Needed a nutrition company focused on optimal nourishment for the perinatal journey. We need choline to support our baby's neural tube formation and cognitive development, as well as for our own health benefits. But many of us are not getting enough choline in our diets, and most prenatals include only a bare minimum amount or none at all. New research also suggests that we need double of the current recommendations. That's one of the reasons I love Needed so much. Needed's core products contain choline, plus they have a choline add-on. I highly recommend adding Needed's choline onto any prenatal vitamin you are taking. To get started, head to thisisneeded.com and use code MAMASTAYPOD for 20% off your first order or first three months of a Needed subscription. So it was definitely really helpful for me after my birth and then after my two miscarriages to essentially just kind of repeat the story over and over again to other people as I was processing it. And especially with my miscarriages, it was so helpful because a lot of the people have had pregnancy losses. And so I felt so much less alone when I started sharing my story. And then some of my other friends were like, hey, I actually have had a pregnancy loss too, but I haven't told anyone about it. You're the first person that I have told it to. And so it became this very healing experience, like we were in it together kind of thing. I only found this out because I was telling other people my story. And so it became this really super helpful thing to do. And then to be able to repeat that same story multiple times was really helpful for me in my own healing process. And then, of course, being able to speak to a professional really helps when I was starting to have more issues that were definitely affecting my ability to live my life. And I know that you're familiar with my story as my therapist, but one of the things that really triggered me to see Dr. Berlin was some of my postpartum OCD, where I would almost have, or I guess it would actually just be classified as a panic attack, where I would essentially cease to function because I was afraid something was going to happen to my son. And it was like always something super irrational. And I think the incident that really triggered it for me was we were in an aquarium and it was open tanks and we were above the tanks and I thought someone was going to take my son from me and throw him in the shark tank. And so I had to like sit down and like really breathe hard and I was just kind of panicking. And after I kind of worked through it, I was like, I think I should seek some professional help. Like I don't think what I'm experiencing right now is normal. So hopefully people that are listening have not reached that point in their lives, but definitely talking to other people about what's going on and then talking to a professional and be like, hey, I think this is not normal for me. That was definitely the game changer for me. It's okay to seek that additional support. And what's really great is we have so many virtual options as well. Like I'm on the other side of the country from Dr. Berlin and I was able to do therapy sessions with her for over a year that were super beneficial for me. And there are so many online options too because sometimes the barrier is where do I put my kid during my therapy session? Can I bring my baby with me or is my baby going to cry the whole time and I'm going to be so distracted when all I'm doing is trying to seek help for myself? And so there are a lot of online options as well. And there are some like the doctor on demand is included with like our insurance. So reaching out to your insurance provider to understand what options are available for you for therapy for both in person and online can be really helpful. 
And I sought out care after having my first daughter just for like transitioning to like motherhood was a little bit rougher than I thought. And like being married and like transitioning to parenthood can be hard. So finding a therapist, whether it is virtual or in person can be really, really beneficial. It was during the pandemic. So mine was all virtual. So talking to a therapist every once in a while as just like a little tune up can be so beneficial for our mental health that I think everyone should look into. So one of the things that you talked about was your story as a doula where you found your yourself trying to navigate this more potentially emergent situation. And this is something that I counter a lot as a doula where I find myself kind of tiptoeing in this situation where I'm trying to help inform my clients on what's happening because I can tell that they're really confused but I don't want to tell them what I think is happening because I'm not a medical professional. And I also may not completely understand like what someone is responding to. And so I may think it's like, oh, they're trying to respond to your baby's heart rate when really it's like their blood pressure or something. And so I don't want to tell my client like what is happening. And so what I am trying to tiptoe is trying to encourage the medical team to inform the family what is happening without interfering with their ability to provide care. And so Roxanne, my question for you is as a nurse, like how could somebody like either a family member or a doula or a non-medical person that's in the space, ask the staff to tell them what's happening so that they understand like what everyone is kind of rushing into the room for. Because what I have found is when we don't understand what's happening is we start going down these like rabbit holes of despair where we're like, oh my God, like the world is ending. And But if we just had someone that was like, hey, everything's okay, this is what's happening, it would make that whole situation just so much less chaotic and potentially traumatic. So this is definitely something that is talked about in the medical community in that When we are in an emergent situation, someone needs to be the one that is talking to the patient and the family members because they have no idea what's going on, especially if they have zero medical background. And sometimes it's not necessarily a full-on emergency that we're responding to, but it's just something that we have to address really quickly. Informing the family of what exactly is happening is not something that we think about. But having someone that is kind of just designated to keep them updated on what is happening Like in code situations, thankfully, I've never had to be a part of an adult code, but there is usually someone that is designated to be in charge of like the family. So like they go and update the family on things that are going on. But in labor and delivery, this is sometimes the thing that's kind of thrown to the side in emergency, like telling them what is happening and like kind of keeping them updated in the moment is something that we kind of forget about. And it's also like we want to be involved and helpful in this emergency. And sometimes the idea of just like being the person to update them doesn't seem like we're actually helping at all. So after the emergency, the provider and the nurses will usually sit down and kind of go over everything that happened, why they did what they did, and then kind of answer any questions that they had that came up. Because in that moment, it's like you have, again, you have blinders on, you're trying to focus on this emergency. But if we just had another nurse or another medical provider come in to be like, hey, this is what they found. And this is why they're doing all of these techniques that they're doing. Baby is doing this, or this is what we're seeing in your vital signs. And these are the reasons we're doing what we're doing. So this is something that we do talk about that we know that needs to happen, especially in emergent situations. And I think some hospitals are usually better at it than others, for sure. At the different hospitals that I worked at, every single one kind of did it differently. But afterwards, like when we do like a debrief, it's usually like a positive. If we've updated the family throughout the emergency, it's like, oh, good job being like communicative to the family members and keeping them up to date. But it's so hard in an emergency situation sometimes to remember to update everybody. 
So one thing that we had started doing before I had left the hospital was starting to just call out what was happening during emergencies. So everyone on the medical team knew what was happening at a current situation, but also the actual family members and the patient knew what was happening. So it's like, oh, hey, baby's heart rate is down. We're going to reposition to the left side. So everyone knows what's happening and what intervention we're doing. And then you're calling out like, hey, the provider needs IV fluids. So then the nurse will then be like, hey, I'm starting the IV fluids now. The provider's like, I need this medication. Hey, the medication is drawn up. We're giving this medication. Someone is consenting the patient to the medications quickly because obviously consent is very important, even in an emergency situation. And then we want to make sure that they understand why we're giving this medication and everyone on the team understands why we're giving the medication. So I hopefully like more hospitals are kind of doing this like call out type of thing during an emergency so that this kind of helps not just keep the medical team up to date, but also update the family members so they can understand exactly what's happening because in situations like with Gina if nobody's calling anything out Gina has zero idea what is happening so she can't update her doula clients whereas if the medical team is calling out hey the baby's heart rate is down Gina for sure knows oh this is why they're responding to my patient or my client and that's it you know it's very hard and just to clarify it you know it didn't come out right like I would broadcast mom's question nurse would tell me and then I would whisper it back to her because like you said, you know, knowing our scope and not in any way giving medical information totally. But I have to say, Roxanne, you should be in charge of L&Ds everywhere because that model would be a game changer. I cannot be a boss. (laughs) (laughs) No, but can you, we know that what we build up in our head is often so much bigger and so much worse. And to have the medical personnel, like you said, call out as they go, Listen, having a designated emotional support person while these things happen, that's the dream. The minimum to call it out so that, you know, mom and dad or mom and their non-birthing partner also are informed, that's tremendous. And again, we appreciate the distinction, right? When COVID first started, we couldn't give any real energy to the emotional because it was life and death. There was nothing to talk about. Mm -hmm. And between life and death, right, that's what we have to focus on first. It was so upsetting to me, though, you know, this was last year already. My son had an appendicitis. And thankfully, we were through a lot of like the major initials of COVID where we weren't dealing with that same level of danger. And they still made him choose, do they want me or dad, you know, as he's going down to surgery and doing all of these things. And I'm like, no, I said, when we're past the immediate, now we do need to bring the emotional piece back in because we know it's as impactful, if not more, in terms of, you know, what a person's experiencing. So I'm still voting for Roxanne for, you know, hospital reform. Yeah, that was something that my husband said after he listened to our first birth story podcast. So I sent it to him and told him to listen to it so that we had like one more listen for our podcast analytics. And he came home and said, I was listening to this story and I didn't even recognize that you had had a negative experience. And so you started talking about it like after the birth. And he was like, it didn't trigger for me that you didn't like the way that you were being treated or the fact that you didn't get the birth that you wanted would somehow have been upset for you because our baby was healthy healthy mom healthy baby he was like that's the standard how could you possibly be upset and still processing your birth you know healthy mom healthy baby like that is the 
bare minimum. There is room for a happy mom. Like there is room for a good experience too. And so I do want to like clarify that my husband wasn't dismissive of my birth story perspective. He was just reflecting on how it wasn't something that he had recognized the days after our birth that I may be processing the experience that we had had together. And just like Roxanne was saying, everyone's focused on wanting to be the one that does all the things. Nobody wants to focus on the emotional aspect of things. And I'm sure there are people who are like really invested in the emotional aspect of care. But when it comes to birth, we really do need to consider, am I emotionally taking care of this person in this very transformative experience in their lives? Can I help them with the emotional aspects of this process? And so maybe it's our society that has really downplayed the significance of pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. That's probably a huge aspect of it. And then maybe it's more of the medical community that kind of downplays the emotional aspect of care because we don't have time from it. We're running from patient to patient. And so, yeah. He said he didn't realize that I had had a negative or traumatic experience because he was like, well, we have a happy baby or a healthy baby. What more could you have wanted? And then with our subsequent births where we gave birth at home and we were really treated so well by a provider, he was like, oh, I can see now what it was that you were wanting. Like you wanted to also feel empowered in your experience too. Yeah, I think definitely in the birth community that sometimes in the hospital, that emotional portion of this like happy moment and monumental moment in people's lives, like the birth of their children is sometimes forgotten. And like we forget that these families only get like one, two or three of these experiences in their lifetime while we are like bringing babies into the world every day. I don't want to give birth every day. I mean, I found my birth to be very empowering and I would do it again, but not every day, not every day. Once every two years is good for me. (laughs) I would definitely do birth instead of postpartum though. But back to birth working, like we do this every day. So we might forget about that emotional portion that this is like this monumental moment for these families. And we almost are like jaded in a way of their experience. But I feel like the past like five years of nursing, there's this been this nursing shortage. So in the hospitals, the support on labor and delivery, just there's not enough staff to be able to provide the type of care that we all want to be able to provide. The rate of nurse burnout is like incredibly high. And I'm not saying that what is happening is okay to like these families, but it is the one of the first thing that goes in the medical care is going to probably be the emotional support that we provide. We just don't have enough like mental capacity or enough time to be able to provide as much emotional support as we want. And I mean, birth trauma can affect not just the person experiencing, but like the people that are assisting in the birth can also potentially experience birth trauma to include the birth partners, the family members that are there, the doulas, the birth workers can experience that trauma and carry it with them as well in the way that they might blame themselves for not being able to do more. So the midwives and the OBs, the nurses, they could experience trauma based off of how they run an emergency situation. Like they can blame themselves. So like mental health, even as a medical professional, like seeing a therapist can be so beneficial, not just for the birthing families, but also the birth workers as well. And again, I'm a huge supporter of everyone seeing a therapist. So I think that it's something we should just move towards. And that's it, right? And we would be so remiss if we didn't recognize the massiveness of birth. 
you know, life altering experience, right? You know, we've all heard the saying and it's still, it's really true that with every baby that's born, right? There's a new parent that's born or parents that are born. And, you know, even when it's baby two or three or four, right? It's still a new iteration of those individuals as parents. And again, that's massive. And our country, I think, right, we know can do a lot more to support, you know, new families. And then, yes, and then recognizing that no one leaves that room unscathed. Everyone is impacted by the hormones and the oxytocin. You know, birthing and non-birthing partners alike can experience some emotional upheaval and actually a full-on, you know, perinatal mood or anxiety disorder you know, which I know we're going to talk about, you know, at a different time, but it does. And and I think where we get in trouble with partners is sometimes assuming that they had the same experience and then we go to react in the same way versus slowing down and asking and creating space where it's okay that we had different experiences. And instead of trying to make yours mine or vice versa, how can I support you? How can I be open and listening to what yours was? maybe similar or maybe different than mine, right? And that can be tremendous. What would you recommend to somebody who's stuck in their trauma? So they're having a hard time moving past their birth. They're like reliving it over and over again. Everything reminds them of their birth. So not that having a cesarean birth is traumatic inherently, but we definitely have more folks that reach out to us who have had a cesarean birth that found it to be a more traumatic experience. And so like every time they see their scar, every time they touch their scar, it makes them relive their story again. What would you recommend to somebody who is stuck? I think that I would want to look at that as an indication of seeking some additional outside help, whether it's in the form of support groups, you know, initially, because, you know, Gina, even as you talked about it, there's a catharsis to being with other people who have experienced something that we've experienced. And I like the play on words, so I'm going to say it here, but we need to figure out a better play on words, right? Which is to say, you know, we've all heard the adage of misery loves company. The reality is, is that misery loves miserable company. And not to say that anyone is in misery or miserable, that's for each person to, you know, decide or navigate. But the notion of being with people who get it is a very different experience. You know, when you find yourself either having a hard time looking at the scar and, you know, every time you see it, it's triggering flashbacks or memories or for some women, if there was, if something happens at a certain time in the day, right, if the C, the unexpected C-section happens at like 4 p.m., if you will, there can be a temporal trauma that comes where this woman is like, gosh, every day at 4 p.m., I just start bawling and I don't know why. Anytime you're experiencing those flashbacks or those repeated experiences, those are indications that I want you to reach out for help that I want you to seek a professional. And it's something that I like to tell non-birth partners that a lot of times they may be the first one to really notice that, you know, their birthing partners are not quite okay. Because again, as women in particular, I feel like a lot of us, like we power through. If it's the first time, we also often may have nothing to compare it to. For some women, it's like, I guess this is just what it is. And they'll struggle or they'll suffer because the assumption is, you know, there's not another way. And so I really like to clue in, you know, non-birthing partners to, I want you to watch. And if you're seeing something, right, maybe you're the one who's going to even start that conversation of like, hey, it seems like something's going on. And maybe this is bigger than just you and I talking about it or addressing it together. But, you know, maybe we want to go talk to someone. And I am a big believer that birth trauma, no matter which partner is experiencing it, it's a family issue. And so we want to come at it from a family perspective. 
nothing feels more supportive than having your partner be there with you. Unfortunately, the antithesis is also true that little feels more devastating than to feel like your partner is not aligned with you or it isn't getting it, right? And so having that team or having people come and do it together is really helpful. And we're getting the one who's struggling, you know, the help that they need. And then there's a lot of, you know, psychoeducation for the one who's maybe not directly struggling, but to help give them a context and an understanding of what their partner is going through. And I always like to be able to share with partners, like, what are the things that you may want to say because you think they're helpful, but they won't be helpful? So stay away from those. And what are the things to say that will actually be experienced as helpful? And use those. And when in doubt, ask. So those are some of my thoughts about that. What would you recommend to somebody who's getting ready for their second pregnancy or subsequent pregnancy and navigating that subsequent experience after their first potentially negative experience? Because like usually what I'll see for my clients is those of them who have had a negative prior birth experience, they want to do all the things. I will eat this specific way. I will exercise every day. I will do all the things because the reason I had had that experience was because I failed to check all my boxes. And so they're super anxious their whole pregnancy because their to-do list to guarantee a good birth is so long. So I find that if someone has this really long to-do list, they're probably still holding on to something from their prior birth. So what would you recommend to that person who is preparing for a subsequent pregnancy and birth? And so first of all, I love that you know that. I love that you already know the warning signs of if you're coming to me with the kitchen sink list, ding, 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 that's a warning sign, right? That's a flap. And it is true that for a lot of women, you know, especially if they muddled through the first time around and didn't really do work around it, that for a lot of women, it will come up as they do get pregnant again and are anticipating that next birth. And that can sometimes be that time where like, whoa, now it's hitting me. Because here's the thing, as we talk, right, we know that things can often become desensitized. Think about something good. You go on this fabulous, you know, family vacation. The first person you're telling, it's with vivid detail. And we went here and we went there and we ate this. And it's amazing. And we give every last detail. By the sixth or seventh person, it was like, yeah, we went. It was good. We had fun. The energy tends to wane and wax out. And the other thing is that for a lot of us, when we're not in the thick of it, you know, we don't go back. And so it's like, well, I'm not feeling overwhelmed or traumatized in this moment. So I don't need to deal with it. I'm okay. And I like to think about trauma as kind of like a bruise. Maybe you have a bruise on your arm because you walked into a doorknob. Not saying that I did that. I did it all the time, right? But let's say you walked into a doorknob, right? We all do it. (laughs) You know, and you have that bruise. You'll be very aware of it those first, you know, couple of hours or a couple of days as it's big and throbbing and whatever. And then usually we forget that it's there. And we go about our day and it kind of lays dormant until someone or something, you know, bumps up against it. And it's like, oh my gosh, that still hurts. It's like, right, just because I wasn't aware of you then doesn't mean you went away. You're still there. And if the, unfortunately, the quote unquote right thing hits it or we get triggered, it brings it back center stage. You know, what's the first thing I would recommend is if you didn't process and digest it and do work around it then, do work around it now. Because I love for women to be able to clear out whatever energy might still be lingering from a prior birth before segueing into the next one. So that's one thing. Another thing is I like to change some of the language for women, right? I like to kind of really address some of the expectations, 
and then for good or for bad, right? I will often share, like if you lean into the medical world and Roxanne, you can, you know, verify this for us, right? But what's the standard that the medical world strives for? It's not the best possible care you will ever have. They strive for what? Reasonable. What is a reasonable course of care? Yes? What did you say? Like the standard of care. Right, standard, right? Standard, you know, we want that standard, which is like, again, what's a reasonable standard? Right, reasonable standard of care. Thank you. And so sometimes it's even coming back to a woman and saying, like, hey, what what feels reasonable? Right. What you know, or or maybe it's, you know, helping to not take a list where everything is a 10 star of importance, but separating out what are the most important for you, that the things that you want us to really spend our time on, what maybe feels less imminent or you know important that it's like hey, this would be a nice cherry, but if it doesn't happen, I'm okay. I like to share with women a lot that, you know, again, when it comes to motherhood, we aspire to be the good enough mom. I think that's hard. We live in a society that doesn't really recognize middle of the line. You know, it's always like, hey, I need the best. I'm going to the mall. What's the best white shirt I can find? Or I'm throwing a party. I need the best photographer out there. You know, sometimes the functional good guy or person who's going to get it done, it works. And I can make my peace and be happy, but there has to be an awareness of that that has value, that it's not the best or best, but that there's value in the good enough, right? Thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your expertise. I feel like we could probably talk about this topic for hours and hours, and I'm sure people would listen to it too, because this is like a pretty big deal to a lot of folks. But how can people connect and reach you? And we'll put all of this info in the show notes for you listening. So you can find me online at, you know, drberlin.com, doctor spelled out. So D-O-C-T-O-R berlin.com. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Alyssa Berlin, Dr. Alyssa Berlin. Whether you drop me an email or an Instagram message, whether you call the office, you know, I want everyone to know that they should not hesitate to reach out. I like to think that I'm in your back pocket and whether it's a quick question, whether it's needing a resource or, or doing, you know, a bigger course of therapy, but I'm happy to help. I want to help and I want to support women in their journey, right, through birth and, and through their transition to postpartum. Well, we appreciate you so much for taking the time to do this episode with us because we know a lot of people have been wanting some advice on how to process their birth because we all deserve to have an amazing birth experience. So thank you so much for being here with us. Absolutely. Thank you. So for me as a doula and even with Instagram, we get a lot of folks that have had prior birth experiences that were less positive or potentially traumatic for them. I usually find that when I'm being hired because someone is looking at not having the best support for their prior experience being why they had their more traumatic birth experience. And so usually what I'll recommend to my clients is if you have this mile long list of all of the things that you want to do to prepare for your next birth, whether it's a VBAC or a vaginal birth after a C-section, or if it's for another vaginal birth, but you want a more positive and empowering experience, only do the things that aren't going to increase your level of stress. And so if you have like eight things on your list that you want to do every single day, but trying to do all eight of those things is stressing you out and increasing your anxiety to the point where you're like, well, if I don't do these eight things, then I'm going to have a bad birth. We need to decrease the amount of stuff that's on that list. And so sometimes I'll see where my clients are like, I need to see a chiropractor. I need to do massage therapist. I need to work out every day. I need to eat a certain way. And then it becomes too overwhelming. 
And so just pick like one or two things off the list of things that you would like to do and prioritize those. And then add depending on how you're feeling that day. If eating really well feels good for you that day, do so. If, you know, eating something that just is comforting for you is better for you, do that instead. And so as you're preparing for a subsequent birth, take a look at how many things you're trying to do to prepare for that birth. And so that's usually the biggest advice that I give to my clients that are really seeking a more positive experience. The other thing that we can focus on as we prepare for a subsequent birth, because we don't know what is going to happen. There could be an emergent situation. We may develop a complication at the end of our pregnancy. You know, we may not have the exact birth team that we're hoping for with like the medical team. And so instead of focusing on like the physical things that happen, focus on what you want to feel like during your birth. And sometimes focusing more on how we want to feel can help us navigate experiences within our birth that were maybe unexpected. So, hey, I want to feel heard and respected the entire time is going to make a huge difference as opposed to like what physically happens to me. And so focusing on what you want to feel can be a really helpful approach as well. The other thing is as you are reflecting on your prior birth experience, sometimes we're really focused on the negative aspect of things. And so we can look to understand like, why did I perceive that as negative so that we could develop a course of action to prevent that or mitigate that in the future. And then also like, what are the things that I felt really good about? Like, what were the things that made me feel good during my birth? And while there may be a lot of negative experiences, there's probably a few really positive ones that meant a lot to you. And can we replicate those or can we mimic those in a subsequent birth as well? So those are usually the tips that I give to my birth clients who are looking to have a better subsequent pregnancy experience. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If you want more support throughout your pregnancy, join our prenatal fitness programs and childbirth education course. If you need some more support after birth, join our postpartum fitness programs and education courses. If you're a professional, we offer birth worker and fitness trainer courses so you can learn from us and earn CEUs. Explore all our courses on our website at mamastayfit.com. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to follow our channel. We publish new episodes every Wednesday. We're excited to see you next week. The Mama Stay Fit podcast is sponsored by Needed, a nutrition company focused on optimal nourishment for your perinatal journey. Use code MAMASTAYFITPOD for 20% off your first order.